I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On September 10th in Las Vegas, Nevada, in the main event of UFC 279, one of the most iconic and important figures, frankly, in UFC history, will make his presumed swan song. Yes, Nate Diaz will face Hamzat Shemaev in a welterweight pay-per-view main event. And it might just be the last fight that you ever see one Nathan Diaz take, at least inside of the UFC's octagon. But before that happens, BC, we decided to take a look back down the road and have a little bit of a reflection on the resume of Nate Diaz. So here is your morning combat Nate Diaz resume review. That's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. BC, when I say the, the word yeah. Nate Diaz, what comes to mind? Uh, so you can't say Nate Diaz without saying younger brother of Nick Diaz, sure. the Diaz Army. But when I think of Nate, I think 209. I think the Stockton slap. I think... Uh, bloodied, celebrating after beating Conor McGregor in their first fight. Uh, not surprised, mother effer. Iconic, yes, but maybe the first real sort of anti-hero mm-hmm. UFC celebrity fighter and sort of, you know, he doesn't get there even with the Nick Brotherhood without the two fights with Conor McGregor, but he's also much more than when he reached the pay-per-view level there. As fun a career to go up and down as I can remember that we've done with this project and a guy who's timeless and at 37 He's still in a very big fight. I know the circumstances in this one with his last fight in the contract couldn't be more unique or weird being served up to maybe the next big thing. But when you rewatch what he did, does it give you more confidence for what he might be able to do against Hamza? So glad you mentioned that. It actually does a little bit. I think it'd be kind of crazy to not pick Hamza Chimaev, but I think if you don't get, if you can't, you can't look at Nate Diaz's record. You can't go through the fights in the way that we have to prepare for this and not come out with just a general sense of respect, but a general sense of, This guy's ability to perform even when the chips are completely stacked against him is remarkable and it's real and we've got to bear witness to it in the course of doing our research. I want to remind everyone here, this was a labor of love for us. We really wanted to do this one for a long time, waiting for the right opportunity. I think this is it. And Nate Diaz, not just a guy who started his career at 22 years old from a different era, so you get to see all the different eras. But BC, one thing I really take away from this before we begin looking at his journey with his first win in the octagon, but the first thing I would say beyond that is, Here's a guy who took a while to discover, I think, who he really was, or to, for the fans, maybe, to discover who he was. There'll be points in this, this resume that we go through where the fans are booing him, and they yes. don't like him at all, which is just impossible to imagine today, but it did happen. He's been through a lot in his career. He's had a couple meandering seasons of time off or a couple losses at welterweight that sort of redefined who he might be, but if you're going to be a timeless character, you've got to be able to last long and be an elite-ish fighter for a long time and he's been that Luke for this whole run never an easy out 
you're going to have to kill him to, to get a win in his book against him. I mean, he doesn't consider if you outpoint him a victory. You know, you've right, got, right. you got to take it to him and stop him. By the way, very few have been able to do actually just That's that. True. Shout out to Josh Thompson. But uh, as we start with his UFC debut, I'm trying to remember. Uh, first of all, when did he stop being Nick Diaz's kid brother? In some ways, it might not be the, until the Conor McGregor fights because he became such a household name. That's right. But I'm trying to think of... He became certifiably more popular even within the MMA fan base after the McGregor fight. Yeah. Fair enough. But I think, and we'll talk about this when we get to it, but to answer the question as sort of a general uh, broad overview, 26 years old, he had tried 170, it didn't really work. He goes back down and fights Takanori Gomi, then Cerrone, and then he beat the bejesus out of Jim Miller, gets the title shot. Now, it didn't go right from after that, but that three-fight stretch, that's when I think you really begin to see who Nate Diaz is as a, as a fighter, as a man, as a competitor, the whole nine yards. All right, uh, Nick says, his brother said that Nate turned down a chance at season four of The Ultimate Fighter. Nick said, look, if you get that opportunity again, you got to be there. Well, here we are, season five. Nate's not only in it, he makes it all the way to the finals. He certainly does. So the day, June 23rd, 2007, this is the Ultimate Fighter finale. He takes on Manny Gamburian, a training partner and friend of Carl Parisian, one of the Gokor Chivichian guys out of the uh, sort of Armenian diaspora that's in uh, California, Southern California, Glendale, uh, their area. And these two guys had had decent performances. Obviously, they made it to the finals on the show. I remember Nate Diaz walking out with a gi. Right, purple belt still. He had Jake Shields in his corner. There's been all the same kind of people orbiting him that whole time, but a young, fresh-faced 22. And by the way, I got to say, BC, he loses the first round, and he, ha he, you, he it's, it's Nate Diaz, yeah. but it's such a raw, yes. unpolished version of him. Both the striking, both in his attempts at going for crazy submissions on the ground. I'm trying to think. I didn't watch Tough Five, so I didn't see his trio of submission wins, including the semifinal win over Gray Maynard, which is important because he would go on to have two pro fights. This is an exhibition right. against Gray. But I get, think this fight may have been the first time I saw Nick Diaz. I was like, oh, oh that, I'm sorry, Nate Diaz. That's Nick's little brother. Let's see what he's got. Even with the injury ending here, and even with a very full, close first round, you did see a tease of, of, of who exactly he is. And again, he can lose fights and then find ways to win them. And yeah. of course, he loses the first round. Gamburian gets the takedown, gets on top, and largely works from that position there for the majority of the round. You see Nate go for a Kimura in round one. Doesn't go very far, uh, BC, but it sets up that right shoulder injury because it goes to round two. Manny comes out. Now, he had had shoulder problems previously. In fact, all through his career, he had shoulder problems. But he comes out, shoots that double, runs into Nate. Nate defends it. The shoulder pops out of the socket. And that's all she wrote. You can see here on the photos, this is exactly what happened. It's an anticlimactic win for Nate. But BC, if you really think about it, this kind of sets the tone for a lot of his fights where he's down and something happens. He, usually he was the architect of it. Yeah. But I'm going to point out, that was the army went for the Kimura on. I think, again, a la Ortega, Yair Rodriguez, it played a contributing role to the well, shoulder look, injury. Well, look, when you're going to fight Nate Diaz under really any era, and this is a more you know younger, less evolved era of the UFC you know game here, he's going to test your cardio He's going to test your grappling skills because, look, I mean, he almost pulled off an omoplata here to open second round. He'll try crazy things on you, and inevitably, Luke, it's going to wear down your cardio, but it can wear you down physically. It's an aggressive grapple fest with him, and maybe that did something to aggravate Gamburian's shoulder, but once he shot with the double leg, it was over. It was over. He becomes the season five winner. It's something that when Bruce Buffer or whoever would introduce him in subsequent years, they would bring up all the time, or Joe Rogan or Mike Goldberg, the, the two commentators together at the time. They would constantly go back to this. And he had a pretty great run. Again, anticlimactic finish there. But Nate Diaz, clearly one of the better ones in that class from that season. He gets the victory. 
He is now a UFC veteran. At this I didn't point. do the math with Gamburian being a, a connection with Parisian, who fought brother Nick, because yep. there was a pre-fight feature before this fight in the Stockton Warehouse Caesar Gracie gym, where they asked Nate about being in the shadow of the brother. He's like, "What's so bad about being in the shadow of Nick Diaz? Right. Uh, if you were in the shadow of Carl Parisian, that would suck." So it's a great early Nate kind of salty quote, right. and now you can see the tension there. But he also had one of the great quotes in the interview when he said, "The Ultimate Fighter, how suck, man." I don't recommend it, to be honest he with you. Just that. like little dry humor. You could see Dana White's face in the back kind of like get soured as a consequence. But so day, since day one, first time you see him on TV or in a live sense, there he is keeping it real. Now, we move forward. He had two other fights against good fighters. He had Junior Asuncao, who was the brother of Rafael Asuncao, and then Alvin Robinson. He submitted both triangle choke and then a guillotine choke. But it takes us all the way to April of 2nd, 2008 in Broomfield, Colorado, UFC fight night. Florian versus Lausanne, he takes on Kurt Batman Pellegrino. BC, funny story, I was at this fight. I went all the way to the Bruford, Colorado to go see this fight by myself. Not, not as media, I paid for tickets just to go, yeah. Oh, you were hardcore. Hardcore back in the day. My buddies lived in Denver, I went to go visit them and I actually went and got a ticket, so that was a thing that I did. Uh, BC, Batman, Kurt Pellegrino, a grappler out of the New Jersey area, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, highly respected Didn't guy on the Didn't he end up teaming with Kenny Florian in Boston and Team Sid Yuntong? Yes, he worked with him as well, but he was from this area that we're in as we speak today. Very good, very credentialed grappler, and I got to say, he was giving Nate Diaz problems. He was. This is a very competitive fight, and something I want to point out early in terms of who is Nate Diaz physically, he's a kind of a freakish lightweight in that he's so long and tall but yet kind of perfect for this 155-pound division. When you look at the physical stats in that first fight against Gambirian, for example, Nate's got a 5-inch height advantage, a 6-inch reach advantage. That would almost be the same here, 4-inch height, 5-inch reach against Pellegrino. This is an early advantage built into that spinally frame where he can control distance, even though it's not the fully formed, stocked-in, dirty boxing style or the fact that he's still take, do it, throwing the off-speed punches and then throwing the hard ones, but... Um, Early, I mean, that, his use of, of distance, it's funny. Mike Goldberg in this fight and a lot of these fights is just like, oh, my God, the Diaz brother style is just so different. They're long, but they make that reach longer by putting their shoulder out. It's like, no, dude, they do a boxing stance. <laughs> You're used to MMA guys squaring up and just coming at you. Mm -hmm. Their knowledge of boxing, and mind you, they're they're sparring at this point a lot with Andre Re Andre Ward, excuse me, the mm -hmm. champion boxer in the Bay Area. So um, you're, you're learning here that along with the, the ground threat, it, they have a non-traditional striking style. But the jab is accurate, and Nate knows how to command distance very well. It's something, you know, we think of him as a submission specialist, but damn, young Nate kind of knew what he was doing. Now, here's the thing. Kurt Pellegrino in the first round briefly moved to mounted crucifix. By the way, Joe Rogan didn't even know what the position was called at the time. This is how MMA was back in 2008, and Nate finds a way to get out of it, kind of hanging on. But uh, you could see also... This was going to be a problem for him for the duration of his career. Guys were going to put him up against the fence. He was going to have to learn to fight better against the fence, which, by the way, I think he really did. And also, these kind of good wrestler grappler types, the guys who can wrestle and do jiu-jitsu, they were going to be a bit of a problem for him. So he was getting thrashed a little bit in the first round. Second round comes out, and Kurt Pellegrino is all over him again. But a bad sequence gets going, and this is what we're talking about when we say Nate Diaz attacks targets of opportunity. He will bend but not break in many cases. Kurt Pellegrino is trying to put Nate down, lifts him up against the fence to, to return him to the mat to slam him. And when he does, Nate gets a leg over the shoulder in the process, pulls Pellegrino down, and then locks up the triangle. You can see it here. And by the way, you see how he's turned at an angle with the calf fully over the back of the neck. 
Once he had it locked in, he is raising his arms, and iconically, there it is. Is that his first viral moment? Yes. This is the first time. I mean, it's kind of funny. You could make a whole montage of all the people Nate Diaz has ever flipped off in his life. But this one, when he did that to the crowd, not he wasn't flipping off the crowd, but just as a general FU, given he was losing pretty badly up to that point, the crowd, BC, I was there. They went berserk for Nate Diaz. Uh, they did, and you can see that early character come out with that, and I think that's a, perform a, a performance, yes, we should always remember for him, but an iconic moment of celebration. But is it so early in mixed martial arts here where every time it seems like Nate's trying to pull guard to get Kel Pellegrino down and try to set him up for a submission, and, and there's even a quote from Rogan of, uh, I wonder if th that was an error or just a strategy. Was pulling guard not a universal thing at this point? Uh, it was actually, people were trying to get away from it a little bit, I feel like. Um, it was just not, it's, it, it was weaponized, the people were getting away from it, and now there's a little bit of a smarter inclusion, but it was that was the period that Nate, we were. The early Nate is always ready to do that, to test his grappling skills against you. He loves aggressive wrestlers that he can try to trap. Great yes. Leonard being one of them. He, he likes to stick it to the wrestlers in particular, I think. But this was a huge moment. And again, Diaz, still a brown belt at the time, had beaten a credentialed black belt in Kurt Pellegrino and then did it in this incredibly Diaz-like fashion. This is when he began to assert his identity onto the sport. Rogan screams, outstanding performance by a young Nate Diaz, but interesting, Pellegrino tried to slam him, and it's kind of what set up the sequence on the ground. Right. Nate called him out for it afterwards, saying he shouldn't have picked me up like that. That's why he that's, lost. That's exactly correct. But uh, again, also Nate Diaz just being a clever, clever guy. But that could have fueled the middle finger of Pellegrino trying to pick him up and slam him. And Nate. But also he'd been moved to Mount. I mean, Diaz, go watch the fight, like on Fight Pass. Diaz gets worked over. Oh, a Joe, bit. at some point after round one, is like the defense is there for Diaz, but he's getting beat up. He's getting. He was losing for sure. Uh, but a tremendous, tremendous comeback. And a again, here's one thing we're also going to see. Nate Diaz is surprisingly, you think of it just as the Michael Johnson fight or the first Conor McGregor fight, but a lot of these post-fight events have him saying things that are very memorable or doing something iconic very late in the fight itself. He's really good at that. What do you make, for being such a character and an anti-hero, every, every single interview except for the Michael Johnson one, which we'll get to because it's iconic, his first answer is shouting out his brother, That's right. shouting out Gil Melendez, and shouting out Jake Shields and the, and the full team. As loyal a soldier in that, you know, Nick it's Diaz. A, it's perhaps the one constant throughout the course of his career. Every single post fight, he's shouting out the exact same guys. Now, we move on. He has a few more fights that go up and down. He does submit Melvin Gillard, loses to Joe Stevenson and Clay Guida. <coughs> the Clay Guida one was actually a pretty tough one. But we want to move to January 11th of 2010 in Fairfax, Virginia. This was UFC fight night, Maynard versus Diaz. Here he is headlining not just an ultimate fighter card, essentially, but now a full-on fight night card. Funny story, BC. I was at this fight. I was there. This was in the, the then Patriot Center on the campus of George Mason University. I actually did a post-fight show at the time for 106.7 The Fan. Was that during the time that they played UConn in that tournament and made the Final Four? Yes. Or was that, or was that a couple years ago? Uh, a little bit after that point, but yes. Okay. Yes, that's right. I think it was around 2006 or 7 they did that. But in any event, it was a rematch with Gray Maynard, who he had fought previously on the show, B.C., what do you recall about this event? So he had tapped Gray Maynard out in round two, and it had been sort of taking advantage of Maynard's aggressiveness in his wrestling. This rematch turned out entirely different. And, you know, Maynard said before, and I love these early video packages. He's like, you know, I'm not going to try to point him or wrestle. I'm going to try to knock him out. Nate's saying, you know, good luck if you're a wrestler or whatever you call these guys. You ain't doing anything to me. But yet, here's the deal. Nate still had the physical advantages I'm talking about early on. In this case, four inches in height and six inches in reach. 
Yet I think what Maynard was able to do, he didn't shoot for a single takedown nope. for this entire fight. Whereas their first fight was Maynard pushing the fight to the ground and then Nate eventually trapping him. This time, not only did, did Maynard keep it on the feet, but he was the better fighter from distance and it was frustrating Nate. What do you make of Nate, who's showing us early that Stockton boxing style, but he was unable to really have enough flurries where it goes down as a split decision loss and we can talk about the scoring, but he wasn't able to body Maynard in the way he was talking the, the heavy game coming in. This is, and I remember, by the way, the crowd was very unhappy with this. I remember afterwards talking to MMA fans in the arena, they were very displeased with both Nate and Gray Maynard. And he was still very much Nick's little brother, and I think they thought of him technically as that. He's like, oh, well, Nick's a good boxer. Nate's just sort of kind of coming along. There was a sort of a belief that he was just not that guy. And then to some level, that's actually pretty fair. His boxing just wasn't ready at that time to deal with this kind of a thing. And both guys didn't really go for it in that way either. I think Nate kind of thought he was doing enough. Gray thought he was doing enough. But the difference to me, BC, was the impact of Gray strikes. By the way, Randy Couture in the corner of Gray Maynard in this fight, giving oh, really? him some pretty, yeah, give him some pretty hard advice as well. Kind I of miss wake, that. wake up and snap out of it. But the point I'm trying to make is, to me, the difference looked like there was just a little bit more steam on what Gray Maynard was trying to do. Uh, it would go down as a split decision, 29-28 for Nate, 30-27 and 29-28 for Gray Maynard, who, it would make sense that Couture was in his corner, because you know what Gray Maynard wore in the post-fight interview? Mm -hmm. A BC midlife crisis-looking Bob Marley, yes. Randy Couture-style hat. Yes. Uh, but Luke uh, Maynard would say, look, he had a game plan that was going to be to wrestle, but he threw it out the window because he saw the guy that had beaten him in the tough, and he wanted revenge. But look, he didn't take out that revenge as brutal as normal. In fact, he apologized, Gray Maynard, in the interview afterward to the crowd for booing for yep. not being offensive enough. This was a win Maynard needed. He came in unbeaten but had the stigma of the having lost to, in the tough. Was it enough to convince you that Gray Maynard was going to be on to big things? Because he would go on to, you know, multiple title shots in, in an epic rivalry, having already beaten Frankie Edgar in the first fight at this point. But he did enough to win, but it wasn't overly. It wasn't. No, and I don't think that there was a lot. There was a lot of belief that because he was on the Ultimate Fighter, and he was Nick Diaz's brother, and because he was good. Yeah. I mean, again, the Kurt Pellegrino win was good. The Melvin Gillard win was good. That he deserved, you know, obviously an elevated position, but that probably it was a little bit too soon for him. By the way, also on this card, Chris Lieben was on this yeah. card. Rick Story, Rory McDonald fought Mike Guyman on this card. Nick Catone. How about Amir Sadala, who got the biggest pop of everyone, was also and this on this card. And this is Nate's first main event? Yep. And well, yeah, if you count the Ultimate Fighter finale. That's a good different. point. So yes. ultimately it's the second. But um, it, Nate now have lost three or four. Yes. So he decided, it was, yeah, he decided it was time for a change. So he decides to go back to welterweight. That goes to Rory Markham, who was a good fighter, I think, briefly out of the Militich era, uh, UFC 111 over in Newark, New Jersey. He wins this one walking away. But it actually wasn't the one that I thought was the most interesting one. It's the one after that, where he takes on Marcus Davis in Boston, Massachusetts. This got fight of the night at UFC 118, August 28th, 2010. The reason why I picked this one, BC, is because the Markham one to me was not a walkover, but not a real test. Marcus Davis was something of a much better test, I thought, at that time. Plus, it's in Boston. I encourage all UFC fans who may not believe this to be true, Diaz gets booed and chance yes. of Diaz sucks ring out in Boston the entire time in favor of Marcus Davis. Davis from Maine, so close by New England guy. But look, had been known as, you know, he had some pro boxing fights. He was known as, as, a, as a tough-ass fighter. But at 37, Luke, he had lost two of three coming in. Yes. He had, but Marcus Davis also with Team Sityotong out of Boston there, so he was kind of the unofficial hometown guy. He was also known as the Irish Hand Grenade. And to me, BC, here's my takeaway from this fight. This was the first time, especially at 170, where I was like, okay, 
Diaz's boxing is starting to get good. Marcus Davis at the time had a reputation as a guy who had previous boxing experience. They talk it up constantly in the fight. It was something that was known about Marcus Davis when he was competing he at that a, era. a good record as a pro boxer. He actually, he actually had a pretty decent record, and Nate Diaz gave him the business. I thought Marcus Davis had a huge problem navigating that distance the entire time. Look at the face. Now, of course, you know, Diaz always bleeds. Look at the face of Marcus Davis to the point where his right eye, the doctor had to come and look at it. I don't even know how he was able to see out of it. Nate Diaz worked him over. Yeah, and it was a lot of taunting early in this fight, and they got after it right off the opening thing. But it was weird. Not only did he get booed, as we mentioned, there was Diaz sucks chance that broke out during yeah. that. But this is what Nate can do is striking. Now, it's weird because this is his second fight after moving up to welterweight, yet he still had a six-inch reach advantage, which he used here, and he badly bruised up that right eye, as we talked about. It would be after this what eventually became a dead end at welterweight, where once he did not have that reach and height advantage, Luke, it was a different story. This was maybe the last fight in this weight class here where he enjoyed it. It looked more like a lightweight fight for him. He was able to control the distance. And his offense, when he's starting to go downhill, and he can visually see you either succumbing to the fatigue or seeing the damage break out in your face, he's doing DS stuff. He's pointing every time he lands a big shot. And uh, how about Joe Rogan attacking that referee? Or, I'm sorry, the doctor, ringside doctor who yeah, came get in. Get him out of here. He's like, well, this guy probably hasn't seen an MMA fight before, you know, as if saying, look, let the guy fight. We're barbaric. This is what we do. Yeah, also I want to point out, there was D Diaz chant sucks during the fight as we talked about. And then in the post-fight interview with Joe Rogan, Diaz gets booed again during this point. This idea that Nate Diaz has always been universally loved or universally welcomed by MMA fans you want it to be true, it matter-of-factly is not true. It's something that he had to earn over time. Also, not that this was the case every time or not that this was exclusive to Nate Diaz, but pay attention. By the way, number one thing, he constantly fights southpaws as a southpaw. I can't tell you how many, most of his opponents are southpaws. It's kind of wild. Number two, how many times he has to go to another guy's backyard? Yes. He does it all the time. This is one such case where he had to go fight the guy who was more liked by the crowd, you know, sort of the, the uh, sort of accepted Boston guy in Marcus Davis. You constantly see Nate helping out other people in their territories. And as we start to get closer to the buildup to the McGregor fights, for very little money, Luke, we'll get to that later. I just want to say one thing here is yep. Nate says he broke his right hand in, in round, round two. Yep. And his call out, because Joe, Joe said, look, you're going to stay at welterweight. What's going to happen? He called out the tough guy wannabes at 155 like Maynard who think they are hot shots. Yet he didn't go back down to lightweight and seek the rematch. He went up the welterweight ranks, and that's where he would find trouble, Luke. So the whole idea was that he was apparently having trouble making 155 or getting the most out of himself. Remember, these are early days of weight cutting where folks just did not know a whole lot of what they were doing. He could make the weight, but I guess he just didn't feel great. It felt better to go to 170, so he tried. He beats Rory Markham. He beats Marcus Davis. But then that takes us to a bit of the problem area, as you indicated. January 1st, the brand new year, 2011, UFC 125. This was in Las Vegas, Nevada. He takes on Dong, Hung, uh, Dong Hyung Kim. Now, by the way, you might be asking where this is on the actual card itself. It's on the main card. It's about the second fight up. Okay, BC, I appreciate that Nate was trying to get the most out of himself. I appreciate that he was trying. I appreciate that he beat a good fighter in Rory Markham. And he hasn't turned down. It doesn't seem right. fights like these harder but, than... But there's two fights. We'll talk about them both here very quickly. The Dong Hyung Kim fight after this Rory McDonald fight. He, I would say this, I had a respect for what Nate was able to do in terms of surviving with his jiu-jitsu, occasionally attacking with leg entanglements, certainly working through difficult positions along the cage. In fact, I thought that Diaz won the third round in this okay. Hong Hong Kim fight. But it also appeared to me very clear 
that whatever physical advantages he was able to retain yes. at 155, they were gone in this He didn't fight. just have, that's why I'm telling you the, the reach and uh, height advantages. He didn't just have like a couple inches. He was regularly having five and six inch reach advantages in height and arm length. This one, uh, they're the same height, and Kim actually has a one inch longer reach, the stun gun. So even though it's 29 28 on all three cards, when he's finding people that don't have that obvious hole he can expose, what does Nate Diaz expose? Great. If you got a weak chin, he'll expose it. He'll, he'll put up the volume and start to wear you down. If you don't have a good gas tank, he'll expose it. If you're bad boxing, if you're weaker, he can mentally pull you into a fight. He'll expose that. You know, bad boxing. Here's the the, the type of animal he's facing at welterweight here in Kim, and then Rory in the next fight, equal or bigger in size. They, he can, even though Nate can have some success attempting submissions, he can't dominate them on the ground. He can't find that hole in their game because it's not there. Kim was 13-0-1 coming in here. He's not going to succumb to power. He's got a great gas tank. They're all, it became a thing where it's like, what does Nate do to win outside of dramatic submission search? That search was there. You can see he's close there. But when he can't get that and he can't lure you into a brawl that will break you down, it's weird. It's like, you watch these early fights and you're like, is Nate ahead of the game because his psych striking is so unique? Or is he ultimately still behind the game because, you know, he doesn't use his feet a lot to kick. Not a lot, you know, he, you, you can calf kick him, as we would find out. Mm -hmm. Doesn't throw a lot of body kicks or head kicks. And is really boxing? Or if he ends up on his back, he'll chase his submissions. Is he ahead of the game or is he simplistic or both at the same time in terms yeah, of his... This, this, again, I don't think he... This is not the stage of his career where he's figured himself out yeah, fully as a yeah. fighter, number one. The second part is, I think in some ways he was ahead to have better boxing. And obviously his jiu-jitsu, again, he was a brown belt submitting a black belt in Kurt Pellegrino. Dong Hyun Kim, by the way, a very good judo black belt. But, you know, there was, again, I think I think Diaz won the third round here. He was able to give him some problems. You actually makes you wonder about a five-round five fight. This is one of the first times I was like, five-round fights at this point didn't really exist in the yeah. UFC. It makes you wonder, had this one been five rounds, a guy like Nate Diaz is built for that. But in other ways, we're back at the Kurt Pellegrino fight, where somebody who can wrestle a little bit, somebody who's got good defensive jujitsu or good you know, you know, grappling, let's say, in this particular case because he's a judoka, and in this case, the 170 package together. It's a continued weakness for Diaz that unfortunately would plague him throughout the course of his career. He could will himself at lightweight to find that opening, find that vulnerable hole, and then we talked about go all in in that moment and find it, whether it's submission or breaking your will. These welterweights are too big, man, and now you find Rory McDonald, who's also too prime. This is a 21-year-old Rory McDonald who had finally had his big early um, setback when he got stopped by Carlos Condon when he was getting a little bit wild and he, and he got into a brawl. This would be a much more reserved technical but still strong dude you look at the size between them Nate had a uh sorry Nate uh they're the same height and Rory has a one inch longer reach so same situation as Kim yep. physically Rory was thicker Much and thicker. as we would see in the third round when he's slamming him up to three times you say they're not all slams the third one was Linus Morris yes. said head over a feet Luke this is uh yeah, don't you can be surprised see it here. The, the first two were Matt returns but he is just like I mean let's just be honest about it Rory McDonald manhandled him this of course was April 30th 2011 I was there for this one BC and calf kicks this UFC. is the beginning of what's Nate's hole. You could calf kick him into, not submission, but you can really wear him down. For sure. So this is UFC 129. For folks who may not know what it was, this is the apex of Canadian MMA. This was St. Pierre versus Shields. Of course, Nate Diaz's teammate was on this card as well in the main event. This fight was on the prelim card on Spike. It was the main event of the prelim card on Spike. And BC is correct. You go from the Dong Hyun Kim fight to the Rory McDonald fight, it felt like in many ways almost the same kind of fight in a way. 
where Diaz is able to make a decent account of himself in the striking, de- excuse me, in the striking department. Although Rory McDonald kept hitting the Superman punch to inside leg kick that kept rocking him back. But the big difference, the real big difference, was. Rory McDonald was just so much stronger than him. This was when, him these, even though he had got stopped by Condit, this was, here's your looking at the next GSP. Same yes. camp. And at 21, he looks ready for the best. Look, I didn't know he turned pro at 16, Rory McDonald, who just Had to retired get a waiver, yeah. at age 33. He beat Jordan Mean at 17 on the regionals. I mean, this was somebody who— That's why he retired at 33. Folks like that's young. I'm like, not if you started at 16. Forget it's not. how early he started. Um, he was 10-1 and coming in, but, look, the score is 30-26 on two cards, 30-27. Domination for Rory, the water boy McDonald? How yes. did I not remember this So he was happening? water boy, Aries, Red King— Canadian Psycho. Those are the four nicknames he's had. Waterboy at the time they announced that in front of this crowd. Again, I want to say this one more time. This was the crowning achievement of Canadian MMA. This was at the... Well, uh, they did get booed during some of the inact- inactive moments. Fair enough, moments. but this was at the... What was it the What's the big one there in, in Toronto? I went to this one. It was the Rogers Arena. Sky Dome Rogers Center. I can tell you what exactly what it Rogers was. Rogers Center, yeah. It's, uh, this is Bronstetter area, okay? Yes, this is at the Rogers Center in Toronto. There were 55,000 people there. Now, you might not... That might, that sound impressive to you because they've gone to Marvel Stadium in, in Australia before, and so they've repeated some of these feats, but this had never been done before. And you can see just massive Canadian pride the whole way through. So they had St. Pierre on the card. They had Rory McDonald on the card. They had all these Canadians on the card. Rory McDonald was clearly being sort of set up as the next guy. Sam Stout, maybe. Here, yep. Here, here we are again, BC. Nate Diaz going to someone else's territory, yes. and as a consequence, making them look better. Now, of course, it's not... You know, Nate Diaz signed up for the fight. He wanted to be at 170. But when you're wondering why Nate Diaz has a chip on his shoulder, there are obviously a myriad of complicating factors. But the consistent narrative of him having to go to someone else's territory in big fights, a lot of times against a very difficult opponent, you can see why he thought, when is it going to be my turn to get that kind of treatment? Without question, do you... um... I'm trying to pick up his logic in accepting some of these fights. You know what I'm saying? Like, was he under one of those tough contracts like American Idol where you're you're, yes. you're locked down on a small rate for a while? Yes, of course, that's a big part of it as well. There, you know, and, and yes, his brother, I'm not sure if his I think his brother was still in strike force at this time and was doing quite well. I think he wanted to blaze his own path as yeah. well. That's another part, too. It's like there was so much narrative about Nick Diaz's brother, Nick Diaz's brother, Nick Diaz's brother, that he wanted to go and just do things that were a little bit on his own. And the, and the move to 170, it wasn't like it was bad up front. He beat Rory Markham. He beat Marcus Davis. But when you got to that upper tier... Yeah. When he's fighting that, guys that are physically the equal of him, but they're stronger and there's no obvious hole in their game at this or, weight or class. They're, they're, they're very, you know, listen, this was uh, Rory McDonald training with Faraz Zahabi. Yeah. This is Jung Hong Kim. These are good grapplers. Yeah. You know, you're not going to just get these guys to make big mistakes. Kurt Pellegrino took some risks, and that's what he was able to pay for it. But, uh, you know, 15 more pounds of muscle on these guys. I think this was the time he realized, oh, shit. Okay, I'm 25, 26 years old. I can't fight these dudes at 170 anymore. Yeah. I've got to get back to 155 which is a better weight class for me, and BC. Well, one thing to note, just real quick, is sure. that Rory cut him open, and something we haven't talked about. Even in a lot of these wins that we're mentioning, almost every fight that we've talked about, Nate has a cut around his eye. Yes. A lot of scar tissue that I wish you saw with the scarlet brow. <laughs> the exit's that way. Okay. Um, is that That's becoming a thing. It was a thing already. in the Mosvidal fight. And by the way, but, not, like 26 years old yeah. already has that as a bit of a problem, in part because of his fight style. And then now it's a sort of accumulated thing that he's still working on. But 
Let's set this up, BC. We kind of hinted at this at the beginning of this show. I want to go back and remind everyone. He went to 155 to start this UFC campaign because he had fought previously at Walter Wade, I think, back in the WEC days. But he goes from 155. He doesn't like how he feels. He has a couple of up and down performances. He goes to 170. He goes two and two in that run. But the two he loses were back to back against the very best of that division. He takes a little bit of time off. He goes from April until September of 2011. And I think in September of 2011, he goes on a three-fight run where I really believe that is absolute peak, prime, and for that moment, unstoppable Nate Diaz. 26 years old, entering his, his sort of adding the experiences with him, mentally tough and strong as always. I mean, he's every interview he's saying, I think I'm the best. Like, like if I were to ask UBC, what do you think is the win streak where Nate, this, here's what I'm going to ask it. What is the win streak where Nate Diaz looks the best? It's certainly this three-fight window that we're starting now. The only other fight I'd maybe offer is the final fight against Gray Maynard, which we'll get to. Maybe some of that is where Gray Maynard was at that moment, you could argue. Yes, but he, he was a little bit shop He found point. his confidence again. But, Luke, we talked about fighting guys his own size where he doesn't have that advantage. Back now again at lightweight, Takanori Gomi. Nate's got a four-inch height and a six-inch reach. Look, if he has a six-inch reach against you, which the advantage he continually has, it's going to be really hard for you to get inside. And Gomi has, for being a you know a, a very big name, Nick had fought him, so Nate's got the respect for him here. He still has seven losses. And what, five of those seven were, were submission losses? I mean, he could get caught here. This was the type of matchup where if Nate was going to come back and reinvigorate himself... The, the canvas was there to paint the masterpiece. This didn't last a full round. It's a bit of a masterpiece. Nice left cross early to drop Gomi. Nate's on such a rhythm here that he's almost dancing as he's shuffling and throwing combinations. So this is UFC 135, Denver, Colorado. This, of course, is the headlining fight was John Jones versus Rampage. I was at this fight as well. I remember uh, Mark Hunt and Ben Rothwell huffing and puffing. We talked about elevation from the Salt Lake City card. Sure. You had a lot of this as well, but they didn't even need to worry about that in this contest because, as you indicated, BC, Nate Diaz goes out there and beats the fucking brakes off Takanori Gomi. And it's not just in one dimension. This is why, to me, BC, it's the beginning of the full Diaz, the Nate Diaz picture. He beats him up on the feet. He beats him up when they clinch. He destroys him on the ground. He goes from submission to submission to submission. He trapped Takanori Gomi under a sheet of ice. He had nowhere to go in this fight. Diaz did, true or false, BC, whatever he wanted when he wanted. It even seemed like he pulled guard there in the mix of, of some flurries that would set up the finish, and he almost had the arm bar. Nice triangle attempt by Gomi. It was the last stand that he was going to make, but the slam didn't break the hold. Gets the tap out, and here's Joe Rogan excited afterwards. Quote, no doubt about it, the best performance of Nate Diaz's career. Just spectacular in every part of the game, to your point. Uh, the first of three in a row here, uh, a refreshed Nate at lightweight. Could be problems here in this title picture as we keep going. Luke. And by the way, don't you agree just for a second? I thought he physically looked better, too. Yes. Like at 170, he didn't look flabby, but he didn't look well, like, for both, cut for both up. Diaz brothers, there's times when you're like, do they even want to be here? And it's not just Nick recently coming back, and that was kind of a debacle. But it's like there are times. There's, there's, there's wilderness rambling in their career where they lose a couple, and you're like, are they even mentally checked in? He's checked in in this one. This is the start of something good, actually his best run. Yeah, dropped him with a one-two, hurt him, had Gomi in trouble, finished him off on the ground. Nate Diaz looked sensational. And by the way, who does he shout out in the post-fight uh, interview with Joe Rogan? Of course, Jake Shields. Of course, his teammate. Uh, and by the way, he also gives credit to Gomi 
He's not entirely antagonistic to everyone as his favorite fighter ever. So there was a bit of an honor for him to fight. So this is part one of the three-fight win streak that I think is his best. We stay in 2011, by the way, fought four times that year. We go to UFC 141. This is where he takes on Donald Cerrone. This is the Lesnar versus Overeem card. Remember this one? December 30th, 2011. Uh, doesn't this feel like it was more recent than 2011? Uh, it feels like it was five years ago, yeah. not ten. But in any case, where you, at, where you might be asking, where was Nate Diaz in this card? Pay-per-view co-main. So he got a little bit of a boost yeah. from that Gomi win. And he takes on Donald Cerrone. And they had had an antagonistic pre-fight buildup. So there was a video package that talked about it. Apparently, uh, they had walked past each other at a press event. Donald Cerrone had put out his hand for Nick to sh for Nate to shake it, mm -hmm. and Nate slapped it away, Luke. He okay? did. It was like, we're in the same division. I don't really want to be your friend. Nate says, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. We're not cool like that. You broke the Stockton code by trying to be friendly, basically, is what he's saying here. Luke, if you want to know what, well, what version of D Donald Cerrone was this, arguably the best ever. Why? He was 17-3 and three overall, riding a six-fight win streak, and he had just TKO'd Charles Oliveira and subbed Dennis Seaver. So this was... A cowboy who was not living on Hot. name. This is prime, tough, rugged. You know, you see the damage. I mean, the, what became a theme in this first round, I think Nate would go on, by the way, to set a record for most strikes landed in the three-round It has fight. been subsequently broken, but yes, he set it in this fight. It started in the first round where why, why did Cowboy not move his head once in that opening round? Because Nate was just teeing off with like... Well, let's let's set this up for just a second. So they bring the referee brings them into the middle yes. to give them instructions and says you know, shake hands or whatever, and Donald Cerrone gives him the finger. He gives Nate Diaz the finger and of all Herb, people. How about Herb Dean? He goes, all right, you can touch gloves. If you wish, right? Or not. Yeah. <laughs> and so they separate, and Cerrone gives him the finger. And then Nate Diaz proceeds to box his fucking ears off. Now, I will give Cerrone credit. There are moments throughout the course of this fight, rounds one, two, and three, where he's kicking Nate Diaz off of his feet constantly. You talked earlier, BC, about we figuring out that leg kicks appear to be a bit of a weakness for Nate yeah, Diaz. RDA was watching this fight, by the That's way. That's right. It wasn't enough to get the job done for Cerrone yes. here, but he did lay a bit of the blueprint about what might be available. But the, the real story, the real story. Well, hold on, before you even get to the real story, they're the same height here. Cerrone, a large lightweight. So it's almost like a welterweight fight. Cerrone had floated between only a three-inch a reach advantage for Nate. So he had to take on more damage to get inside, but it was just his ability to just... Cerrone's always a late starter, but this is the ultimate late starter Cerrone, who got lit up, bleeding from the mouth to end the first round, Luke. Mm -hmm. It got a little bit worse in the second round. Cerrone was never quite out of it, was still able to like do some things, but dude, he was kicking his ass, and this was a moment here where Cerrone was looking like a future title, a future champion in a lot of ways. When we get to the viral moment to start round three, it's like, he's going to stop, Cowboy. You know, did you see the look oh. on Cowboy to start round three? It was like... So, I believe we have the picture. You should play it if we have it. This is... Hold this for just a second. This is the beginning of round three. Remember, at the before round one started, Cerrone gave him the finger. Nate Diaz proceeds to beat Donald Cerrone from pillar to post. So, uh, as they're start about to start round three, Nate gives him the double birds, to which Cerrone goes... Yeah, I kind of deserve it. With blood still dripping out of his mouth. Now, Cerrone in round two had dropped Nate twice with calf kicks, and he had landed a knee that dropped Nate. Yes. But Nate was always able to take that damage as he pretty much was and throughout just walk his career him down. and come right back with more flurries. And walked him down. Uh, yeah, Cerrone takes him off of his feet at 437, 410, 310, 253. He was landing on Nate, but the problem was Nate was landing way more on him. 
physically popping his head back, getting him off balance, having him on the retreat. There was just he could not get Nate Diaz off of him, yeah. I think, was the real sort of sort of scenario there, punctuated by this double middle finger to begin round three. 30 to 27 twice, 29, 28, all in favor of Nate, who would say to Cowboy afterwards, sorry about all that shit that went down. It's just TV, end quote. It's the- just TV. Okay. Fair enough. Now, this brings us to... I think one of the more impressive performances of Nate Diaz's entire career, again, this three-fight stretch to me is the most magical run that he had. It takes us to a main event. We're now in the Fox era. I think we've been in for some time. but Reebok in the house, baby. Reebok in the house. This is UFC on Fox, Diaz versus Miller. Not far from here. East Rutherford, New Jersey, a real shithole. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of Jersey people in here. I'm just trying to make them mad. In any case, it's the main event. It's on Fox. The name is in the actual title, Diaz versus Miller. He takes on Jim Miller, yes. who this was prime Jim Miller as this well, is a guy the, who wrestled at Virginia Tech and a black belt in jiu-jitsu. This is the mountaintop run of Jim Miller's best chance to enter the title picture, which a win here would have done that. He was won seven of his last eight coming in, the only loss being to Benson Henderson before he won the title. At this point now, Benson Henderson, I believe, is the champion at this moment yep. in time. But um, What do you know, BC? Where are they? Whose backyard? Jim Miller's backyard in New Jersey, of course. Constant, but another, constant for Nate Diaz. But Luke, another fight with a five-inch reach advantage. So if you want to ask yourself, this is the third of that three-fight run that is the best of Nate Diaz at lightweight in terms of being a legitimate title contender. What is the difference between this and not the two losses at welterweight that forced him to come back down because we talked about that. But even the earlier Nate, he is much more willing to set the tone offensively, mm-hmm. get off first, and try to use that cardio weaponized. There's times in the second half of Nate's career Maybe due to age or whatever, where Luke, he's too, he's the counterpuncher too often looking for that big punch that he can point at you and change the momentum. This is him taking control of setting the momentum. Yes. He went after Donald Cerrone on a measured pace and beat the shit out of him in the first round and, and, and stayed with that despite a couple of scares or hiccups. There were no real scares or hiccups here against Jim Miller. I mean, he is just walking him the F down. And when he has that advantage in terms of length and he's that motivated, he's a different fighter. Look, this isn't surly Nate Diaz, you're not paying me enough. That guy's coming soon. This is still, I think I'm the best lightweight in the world. And when he's going downhill, dude, he's he's, he's just a force. Stop. I mean, he made Jim Miller, he made Jim Miller shoot. I mean, that's how this whole thing got wrapped up for him. To your point. I, here's another part I would want to say. This is Nate Diaz in complete confidence of his abilities and chances to win. Even now, you'll see him back up against Leon Edwards, and he's kind of hedging moment to moment, or he's playing some games with Jorge Masvidal to stop some of the, the onslaught. You don't see a hint no. of that in this fight. He is just taking Jim Miller to school the whole time. Goes to the second round. The first round, really, he, uh, I think it, it, Diaz drops him. Second round, he hits him with a knee, and Miller wanted no part of it. He shoots. Diaz stuffs it, shoots for a guillotine. Miller rolls. Uh, you, you see now Nate come on top, reassert the guillotine, and have Jim Miller, what appears to nearly bite his own tongue off, as you see him roll through with a guillotine here. Let's see if they got the final they call picture. This the yeah, you can see yeah. it there. It's kind of it's kind of obscured by his hand, but his mouth guard fell out in the process. There it is, and he's got he's biting on his own tongue as a consequence on live television. BC, that is Nate Diaz only two, in his element. There's only two words to say to that: metal militia, motherfucker. Right? <laughs> yeah. He becomes the first man to stop Jim Miller he also, ever. He starts doing the Nate flex. He's aggressively yes. flexing and taunting into the camera, and I think it's his way of saying, "Look." Three in a row here. Give me that title shot. They would answer. They would answer that call, Luke. 
They would. So we bump up now. So he gets three incredible wins, three amazing uh, finishes, all by way of submission. Or no, excuse me, he got the, the Serena one went to the decision. But he gets the armbar over Goman. He gets the guillotine choke over Miller. So they said, screw it. Let's give you a title shot. We jump now to December 8th of 2012. We go to Seattle, Washington. This is for the UFC lightweight champion, UFC on Fox, Benson Henderson versus Nate Diaz. This, of course, is the main event, given it's for the title. I'm going to say it one more time. I know that Benson Henderson has sort of adopted Arizona as his home place, being from the MMA lab, but he is from the Tacoma, Washington area. This was in Seattle. Henderson was very much the hometown guy. Nate Diaz going to someone else's yard, backyard, to do them a solid. I want to point out how often it happens in his career. Yeah, and title fight atop this Fox card, as you mentioned, this is one of these quarterly Fox cards were like pay-per-views, basically, on regular TV. Is this top of the mountain for a guy I don't want to say we forgot about in Benson Henderson, but I think because he's had this final twilight chapter where he's been an opponent at times and we've seen him lose his bigger fights, you forget what made this guy great at lightweight. And even though um, Nate's got a three-inch height and six-inch reach, which had been a theme of Nate dominating, Benson Henderson is basically a welterweight in a lightweight's body here. Mm -hmm. And you're finding that theme when it's somebody who's not going to succumb to the to the cardio, which Benson always has great five-round championship cardio, not going to succumb on the ground. Benson Henderson's legs, as they said on the broadcast, were twice the size of Nate's. Guys with size and skill do give Nate problems. Is this top-of-the-damn-mountain champion Benson Henderson the best yes. he ever so was? So here's the thing. This was Nate Diaz at his very best, I thought, heading into this contest. The problem was... This was also prime Benson Henderson. He just beaten Frankie Edgar twice in very good fights. Like, this is five-fight yes. win This streak. is prime Benson Henderson. And so what ends up happening is what you might imagine. He is able to take Nate Diaz down seemingly at will. He's able, for the most part, to avoid any kind of real submission threat. There were a few times in the course of this. By the way, if this is a five-round main event. Uh, you can see an outside Ashy Garami from Nate Diaz, what he's trying there, but it doesn't get very close. And to me, BC, we talked about the swag. We talked about the confidence. Oh, there it is. There it is. It turned into that, where I think Nate realized that. That was round three when he was down. Already. He was down, He was, and there was really no way he was going to win. I think Nate got frustrated in this one. Oh, absolutely. But why did he? Calf kicks. Look, Benson yes. Anderson was like one of the, was he the first guy who really made that a monster part of his offense? First, I don't know, but he definitely popularized and made that use much wider than it was before him. Right off the bat, he's in round one, he's kind of making Nate wobble and kind of brutalizing him with the leg kicks. But it's, you know, once he worked his boxing and you'd think Nate would have a huge striking advantage, even with the six inch reach advantage, Benson got inside on him, starts bloodying Nate's nose up. Damn, you know, when, when it's like, so this is where you had to ask yourself, like, this is well, the very best of Nate ever in terms of legitimate rankings and trying to get into the title picture. Is he not technical enough when he fights a really technical elite fighter? Because there's some guys he out techniques when he needs to, especially on the ground. Well, here's the thing. Benson Henderson's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, too, and a black belt in taekwondo, and a dynamic, fast, risk-taking, but still very durable athlete. Remember, Benson Henderson had a fucking toothpick in his yeah. mouth which Joe Rogan fight. asked him about, and he was like, I don't have a toothpick. He was just doing a weird bit. But this is what I mean. You get a guy who's got the wrestling skills plus jujitsu skills, and they're a physical athlete, that's a tough combination for what Nate Diaz can and offer. And Nate couldn't get in his head, and that meant after at the end of round one, you remember Nate got right up in Benson's mm -hmm. face, nose to nose, did nothing. Flipping him off in round three on the ground, did nothing, could not lure him into a brawl. Uh, Luke, a, a big win, 50 to 43 on one card, 50 to 45 on two, so it shows you full domination. But I want to start talking about money. I mean, this is Nate Diaz's, in some ways, 
mountaintop moment in terms of how far he could get challenging for a title in the UFC, right? He came close in, other in a, times. In a relatively conventional process. And I know this is not a pay-per-view, but it is a quarterly Fox card, which is treated as one. This card, ratings-wise, did 3.41 million on Fox. Nate Diaz is in the main event of a UFC championship fight, which should be his, again, mountaintop moment of climbing the ladder. And his pay is 50000 He didn't win, so there's no bonus. This is 2012. 12. You know, boxers on regular HBO or Showtime are making two and a half, three million each in main events, not titles. So, you know, depending on what star level they are. You know, it's not everybody, but you get the point. 50,000 to be the opponent in a nationally televised main event that did nearly four million viewers. And Benson, as a champion, is getting 78,000 base, 39,000 is the bonus for the victory. For, for the headlines that still dominate today in fighter pay, this is 10 years ago. Ten years ago, the B-side in a UFC title fight on national television in front of four million made 50,000 to be there. If you're watching on national television an NBA game, the 12th guy or 15th guy on the bench is making the league minimum of yeah, but say he's making more than that. 800,000 or whatever. I'm sure 10 years ago, too. You talk about the disparity. You talk about what fueled Nate taking such long breaks before he finally became this pay-per-view star against McGregor. This is the beginning, I have to believe, of the, of the seed planting of the bad blood in him of like, Look at what I'm doing for the company. I'm taking on anyone. I'm not turning down fights. I'm putting on brawls. I'm putting myself in there. He ain't getting paid shit for it, Luke. You are, don't you just look at that and gasp? 50000 I lived through it in real time. It's, it seems insane to go back to, but I remember, I remember this all the time. And folks wondering, like, why is Diaz such a malcontent? You tell me. You tell me why he's such a malcontent. He's fought nothing. Have I mentioned one person here who is not some easy victory for him? This is some just nobody he could walk through in their backyards, for what we, we, I think most would consider a relatively paltry amount of money. Gee, I wonder why he has been such a uh, a malcontent, which what the word might be. But the journey is not there. It doesn't stop there at BC. We go now to the next fight, which would be a real low point, frankly, in the career of Nate Diaz. The low point, you'd have to say. The Probably low the low point. point, maybe, depending on one's perspective, certainly. He takes on Josh Thompson. This is April 20th of 2013, and this one's kind of interesting, BC. I don't know if you really paid attention to this. This is the UFC and Fox card headlined by uh, Benson Henderson and Gilbert Melendez. By the way, a teammate here again of uh, uh, Nate Diaz, and I thought, by the way, Gilbert Melendez won that contest, but take that for what it is worth. Yeah. Nate Diaz on the main card. Here's another thing you could say. Well, you could say, well, he's a North California guy, so this is a hometown game, uh, but it's not. Josh Thompson is the guy, this is in San Jose, California. Josh Thompson is the guy from San Jose yes. as an AKA guy. So, of course, he gets the much bigger pop. Even in California, BC, he is not necessarily the hometown guy here. Oh, I want no. to point out how often this happens. So, Josh Thompson, at this point, first fight back in the UFC in eight years, Luke, since 2004 when he fought after, on the UFC. After having the best trilogy maybe in MMA history with, with Gilbert Melendez, Melendez and Force, And directly removed from that third fight where he lost the Strike Force title uh, in that match with, with Gilbert Melendez. Comes back to the UFC... Looking for a big fight. This was on national television, Fox, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. 3.31 million viewers peaked in the main event. Nate in, what, the co-main here? Mm -hmm. $15,000 salary, right. no bonus. Right. You're like, dude, can we move on? I'm like, no, no. 15,000. 15 grand. 15 grand to fight Josh. Josh Thompson. made 95,000 plus the $10,000 win bonus. Like, you just imagine. So, you... look, Josh Thompson wasn't even in the company. Was, was had they, Oh, they had bought. They had bought Strike Force. Okay. So, so they're bringing him back into the fold. I know he had just lost in the Strike Force title match, but he's getting 95,000 day, day one here. Nate just lost in the UFC title match in which he made 50 grand. And he's coming in at co-main event on national television in front of three and a half million people at $15,000. You do have to point the finger back and say, well, you accepted it, right? 
To an extent, to an extent, but also, it, like, the, who are you going to go to? You're going to go to Strike Force now? Like, that's not really even an option anymore. And more to the point, it's just about the, I would argue, the predatory practices in this particular case um, by the promoter. But here's the other part about it: 15 grand, 150 grand, 15 million. It ain't easy to fight Josh Thompson. This version of him was very good. Look, give the punk credit. He was fucking awesome. He was, he was really. <laughs> folks don't know about the career of Josh Thompson. Athletic, could wrestle. Very good striker, well-trained, good team. Crazy Bob Cook at AKA in his corner. And I thought this was the first time someone put together, BC, a complete performance against him. You can say that about Vincent Henderson, but here's what I mean. On the feet. Sticking and moving, leg-kicking himself, never being a stationary target, clinch-breaking, yes. whereas Vincent Henderson would kind of embrace the clinch and use it to take him down. This was a get-off-me kind of approach, and he was chewing Diaz up. And Josh is small, so he had that same disadvantage I talk about in terms of height and reach for normal Nate opponents at lightweight. He overcame that with technique and the threat that he established early. A clean head kick early in round one got Nate's attention. He landed a second time, although it was partially blocked, showing Nate that you know, wherever you think you're going to be, I'm dangerous and can catch yeah, he you. Pulls, he walks to a certain direction. He pulls Nate into it. Nate thinks it's going to go low, so he sticks his head out to get his feet behind him, and it go, it lands clean. Well, Nate's bloody from an elbow in the clinch. So Josh, on the ground and in the clinch, is having big moments. This is, a, this is a very good performance from Josh. And when you look up and down this great resume of Nate Diaz, who has stopped him? Nobody. Well, there was the cuts against Jorge, but Nate was kind of having, he was still in that to a certain degree. He got knocked the hell out here. This well, is the only man that's done it in the history of Nate Diaz. Am I wrong? Well, you're not wrong, but he didn't get knocked full out. What, he ha what ends up happening is he gets the head kick again, and then he gets dropped, and then a uh, uh, barrage of punches. A barrage of punches. But here's the real key. Let's look at the photo here. We make sure to put it before the show. The towel. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. See how the towel came in? Diaz's corner threw the towel in his defense. Now, I don't know if he was dealing with injuries in the camp or not. I don't know if there is, you can see the towel being thrown right there again. They went in to save this dude, but it was the, it was the, it was the kick that landed and then the subsequent punch. Yeah. And he just had nothing. Yeah, he, he wasn't, was not stand. cold, but he was hurt by the kick and the punches were, were firm and, and clean. And, and his got. corner had enough. They saw yeah. enough. Josh Thompson remains the only guy to do that to Nate Diaz, even to this day. And Nate Diaz has fought some fucking hammers along the way. I mean, it, it was kind of like what, what Edwards did to Usman, just the opposite leg, right? Um, I don't. Yeah, a little bit, maybe a little bit. Okay. But uh, little bit. It, although, oh yes, so, uh, to a degree. But I'm just trying to point out here. Um, this was a this was a real bad loss for Diaz's career. I remember his stock after this, after the Henderson fight, where he not only lost but was given him the finger because he just couldn't get anything done. And then to get stopped by Josh Thompson, it wasn't like he was fighting chumps. But the nature of the losses to go from thorough to then being stopped, the MMA community was beginning to toss Diaz 
out. Remember, you've seen that meme where the guy lets go of the toy? Yeah. I don't want to play with you anymore. It was that kind of moment in the community. Well, Nate's frustrated, but we're back in another main event opportunity. Yes, here. he does rebound from this pretty nicely. So we go to now UFC on Fox. Uh, excuse me, the Ultimate Fighter again. Rousey versus Team Rousey uh, versus Team Tate finale back in Las Vegas. He gets a knockout of the night, BC, with now his second pro but third overall meeting with Gray Maynard. Now, I do believe, BC, it is fair to say Gray Maynard was in a somewhat compromised state since then. Or I should say, at this in point. In hindsight, so it's weird. I, I see a lot of people saying this is actually the most dominant, best-looking performance from Nate Diaz. Now, it was not even a full round. It was dominant. But to be fair, despite them having the history in the rivalry, Maynard was 1-2-1 and one in his last four coming in, and both losses were stoppages against Frankie Edgar and TJ Grant on strikes. He had had a split decision win over Guida. So this is not, you know... This is no longer prime Gray Maynard, but given their history here, Luke, Gray Maynard's saying before the fight, this guy's got pillow hands. I'm going to knock him out. I think Nate wanted to prove a point. Maybe it's the frustration of having lost twice for very little money at the high level. He wouldn't get big money here, 30000 in a main event on, on regular TV here for the tough finale. But it was outside of the early takedown from Gray, it was all Nate. He rocked him, stopped him. Kicked the shit out of him. Fight went half a round. 238 of the round one is when they called it. And there was an edge to Nate in this one. He was mean. You thought it would be the type of thing that would lead to another momentum, and it yes. wasn't, but it was a, it was another high point in his It was career. a reminder of what he could do. It was a real yeah. get-back kind of win. It was a it was an in-your-face kind of win. It was a very Diaz kind of win in a certain kind of manner, if you want to look at it that way. But it wasn't, it didn't sustain a new wave of fortune. It yeah. wasn't, uh, it didn't foretell of things to come in that way. Just a good reminder. And by the way, a good way to win a rivalry as well, I suppose, um, on that. So it takes us, BC, to something where I want to point out something as well. We mentioned he fought four times in 2011, right? He fought twice in 2012. He had the Thompson loss and the Gray Maynard win in 2013. Now we go to 2014 where he fought just one time. 2015, just one time. But for 2014, it's UFC on Fox, Dos Santos versus Miocic. You might be asking, where is Nate Diaz in this case? He is in the co-main event. He is taking on Rafael Dos Anjos. But BC, for folks who may not remember, this is peak Nate Diaz at odds with UFC, yes. prior to certainly the modern era anyway. He missed weight because he had a really bad injury heading into this. And he had been at odds with the company and yes. been fined for a certain language he had used. This was a real bad time. Does it make it better that he is in the co-main event here of a nationally televised Fox card, which is like a pay-per-view, and he's getting paid 16000 base salary. He lost, so there's no bonus, and fined 4000 for missing weight, which is his fault, obviously. Yes. But, you know, RDA... It was a fight of the night bonus, but I don't know if he was eligible since he missed weight. Well, RDA, who comes in having 7-1 and one in his last eight, despite that loss to Habib during that run, which was, you know, a clean domination by Habib, this is arguably the most dangerous RDA there was because he would use this. And this is kind of the beginning of Nate being a kingmaker in the second half of his career. Guys that he would lose to would then go directly to a title shot. It would be here for RDA. But RDA making 86000 on paper to come in, 41 with the win bonus. Is Nate just in a long-ass contract he can't get out of? Like, what the hell's going on here, Luke? It's freaking 16000 in the cold main event. How does a former titles challenger, like, how is this even possible? The contracts are not in his favor. They're draconian. They're draconian at this point. Still, this is not that long ago. We're talking 2014. All right, how does RDA do it despite uh, having a Any way he wants, reach it? Basically. Well, yeah, but really the, the calf kicks, Luke. He yes. chopped him the hell up. Worse than Rory did. Worse than whoever did that also on this run, Luke. It was a continuation of that, but it was the most brutal of anyone. Also, this is also, we talked about peak Benson when Nate fought him. Here's 
Nate fighting peak, I would say, or pretty close to peak RDA, right? Because RDA doesn't have the belt at this point, but RDA had just stopped Benson Henderson. With a flying knee, yes. Before this contest. So you're getting a version of RDA who is, I mean, red hot. And Nate had to encounter him unmotivated, injured, missing weight, hating life at this point. And it showed he had a bad performance. You know, this actually might be the, a lower moment than the Josh Thompson knockout loss. Because, I think so. Because of where his headspace was. And if you notice in, late in the third round, though, Nate trying, Nate slaps from the bottom. He slaps RDA, trying to get him to, like, brawl with him. And RDA just slaps Slapped him right him back, the hell yes. back. You love also, that. Also, the, the leg kicks were so bad in this one that the referee had the doctor look at them between rounds. Yeah. I mean, look, RDA you was may have, no, you, you might be like, oh, you're being serious. Yes, that may, you may never see that again where a referee is not an eye injury, not a cut, nothing, leg kicks. 30-26, 30-26, and 30-27. And also, the Wheaties look. We could throw, roll the pictures one more time. I don't know if we have them. I, I, I may have just noticed this after the fact. The Wheaties logo, right? You can see it right there at his feet. See yeah. that? The Wheaties logo was on the octagon at this time. I think Pettis is still the champion. Because yep, RDA would go from this fight to knock him out. That's right. And then also, Steven Seagal side uh, was oh, watching yeah. this fight. Because he, uh, he taught Anderson Silva everything he uh, <laughs> learned. Hey, Luke, um, this would be the lowest point in all reality, like we said. I remember thinking this was it. I remember thinking, look, we'd seen him in the title level. Yeah, he's got a name, but dude, when he steps up, he kind of loses. You never would have guessed at this moment, what is he at this age? 29, 28, 29. Uh, you know, would I have guessed that he would go on to main event pay-per-views? No. Would I have guessed that he would come back around and kind of sniff, you know, being considered for title shots because of his name and ability? No. I really thought this was the beginning of the end. And you can never count out a Diaz because it's the same reason why there are a lot of people saying, look, Hamzat, slow your roll on. He's going to tear him away. Nobody does that to Nate Diaz. Really, outside of Josh Thompson, nobody does that to Nate Diaz. His ability to constantly reinvent himself despite the odds around him, whether they're self-enforced or not, has been amazing. He's a warrior. He's a survivor. And that takes us, after a long layoff, to a very important fight in the story, Luke. Yes. Now, let's be very clear about something. You talked about this being the low point. It wasn't just a low point with his own career. It was the low point, I think, with the fans. Yeah. This was the low point with the promotion. This is really everything had kind of fallen apart. Everything he had built in that three-fight run and whatever redemption he got from the Gray Maynard rematch, everything had kind of fallen apart through this. But here comes the redemption story. As you indicated, BC, Orlando, Florida is our destination, December 19th of 2015. Speaking of Dos Anjos, this is Dos Anjos Cowboy 2 in the main event, of course, at that time for the lightweight title. Nate Diaz on the main card taking on Michael Johnson. Guess what he's making here. Ooh, um, I'm going to say 50? 40 grand would get the 20 grand <laughs> bonus. But here's the key. To, know, to show you how low Nate was considered here, despite being a name as a you know, proven product, he'll give you fun fights. Michael Johnson in the pre-fight interview says, I'm going to retire Nate Diaz. I'm going to knock him out and retire him. Wow. That, so that was a thought that was relatively in play, that he yes. was that close. And also, I want to point out, this is not the Black Zillion's backyard, but we're in Florida, so yeah. they booked the Florida guys on here. Here, once again... Is Nate Diaz going to somebody else's backyard? The visual difference at the start of this fight, and Goldie would point it out, is coming off that year-plus layoff, the best shape of Nate's career. He looked by tremendous. Far, by far. So, in his mind, he had already had the dead end at welterweight. He had already sort of, you know, went to the title level but couldn't get there. Two losses in a row. 
I think this is him going, look, uh, you know, let's start at the beginning. Let's refresh. Let's do it. No stone unturned. Take long time off. Refresh the mind. Refresh the body. And let's make one more big ass run at it. And he came out with that intensity really right did. off the start. And at about three minutes in of the first round, of the three minute mark or so, or maybe the two minute mark, but about three minutes in is when everything began to turn Diaz's way. Now, of course, in the end, it's a unanimous decision, 29-28 in his favor. So Michael Johnson was hardly out of this fight in that sense. But... Diaz had that reach you have gone back and talked about, I think, quite rightly, over and over again. And at the three-minute mark is the first time you see Diaz smile at Michael Johnson because I think he felt like, bitch, I got you. I got you right where I want you. Now, again, Michael Johnson went through the leg kicks a little bit. Not mm -hmm. enough, I thought, in this contest to get it done. He had some decent moments where he would pop Diaz as well, had some good body work. But BC, true or false, the boxing of Diaz Yes, it was back in the Maynard fight, but here was a competitive fight against a ranked contender at the time, and Diaz put it on him with his boxing. I don't want to forget about the, the closing sequence of this fight. I had forgotten that Nate got rocked by a big punch, and it looked he like did. he was a little wobbly. He was able to close the show. And Johnson but, tried for a late takedown late look, as well. When Nate's going downhill, look at the taunting in this fight, the pointing, the laughing, the smiling. Even when, doing this. When he's the aggressor and he can get his shots off, and with Michael Johnson, there wasn't a ton of a takedown threat. You know, he's a boxer. He can get you out of there, but this is at lightweight. He found a way to get back in and find the very best of Nate. In incredible shape, ripped up, and over three rounds, uh, as you mentioned, uh, get, winning by one point in all three cards, but it was clear. Uh, Michael Johnson kicked him after the bell. Did you see that? It was yes, like this. tried, yes. And that tension would take us into the post-fight interview, which you could argue is up there on the Mount Rushmore of Nate iconic viral moments. Not just Nate iconic viral moment, but what's one of the most impactful post-fight speeches ever in terms of what someone did to get something else this might be number one. You guys might all remember it, but it is worth pointing out. Let's roll it. This is a beautiful performance against a very tough guy in Michael Johnson. How do you feel about it? Yeah, Conor McGregor, you're taking everything I work for, mother I'm gonna fight your ass. You know what's the real fight, what's the real money fight is me, not these clowns that you already punked at the press conference. Don't no one wanna see that. You know you beat them already. That's the easy fight. You want that real Right here. Hey, and I'm not. Unfortunately, we can't oh. like that on Fox. You forget, BC. He did it on national. We can't, say that on, yeah. Yeah. We can't he, say that on Fox. Even Rogan's like trying to pull the microphone away. He did it on national television. That is one of the most iconic. What's the date on this fight? So the date on this fight, I believe we're in December of 2015. It and is December happened? 19th at the Amway Center where we saw So the let's talk about where we are in the historic timeline. This is the same month that Conor McGregor knocked out. Jose Aldo with one punch after kind of becoming the UFC's favorite mm. son over that previous year, fighting Mendez on short notice, being willing to do anything despite injury, fighting on a busy schedule. Conor McGregor has taken over the public narrative of who's the next big thing. And it's at a time, too, when it's like Lesnar's gone away, Rousey's still here, but Conor took it and ran and became the biggest star the sport has ever seen. So who's angrier than Nate Diaz, who is on national television here again, not getting paid anything close to what he's deserved or earning? He picked the right call out of the right person at the right time, but he would really need the right amount of luck to actually get that fight, mm -hmm. which brings us to March of 2016, a right. couple months so later. Basically, people forget this. Conor McGregor was supposed to fight Rafael Dos Anjos for the lightweight to title. Move, think about it, moving up and wait, just wins the just won the featherweight title by by one punch. You've never seen the press conference. He eats uh, Rafael Dos Anjos alive. Conor McGregor does wearing the uh, Pablo Escobar or uh, uh, El Chapo, I think, was he was wearing the shirt. In any case, that fight falls through. RDA can't make it. Foot injury. Foot injury, they can't make it, so they have to find replacements. We talked to Uriah Faber about it. He was one of the contenders they were trying to find. Uriah revealed Nate's 
how he how he did the back and forth with the UFC. Yeah. Dude, that was like stone cold. Like Nate as a negotiator yep. and, and ended up working himself into the pick for even more money. I think the uh, he would only get paid 500000 for the first McGregor fight on paper, which obviously doesn't count a pay-per-view bonus. Right. It would go up to $2 million, by the way, on paper for the rematch. Yes. But when you heard that Conor McGregor's not going to fight for the lightweight title, but at UFC 196 to fight out card I was at, and it's one of the most incredible nights in the fight this is the game Misha history. We should take Holly Holm in the co-main event. Uh, what did you think about who might win? Uh, like, this is Nate in a pay-per-view main event? This I think is- one of the things I realized doing this whole exercise and going through and watching these fights is I think I have at times probably slept on Nate more than I should have. And I've not been a guy who thought he was bad ever. But I think a lot of us at the time got swept up in the larger narrative about Nate being a malcontent. Remember, we kind of glossed over the fact that it's during this time around the Rafael dos Anjos era where Dana White famously said, Nate's not a needle mover, his brother is, this guy's yeah. not, right? We, we, we had kind of had his whole message inculcated about how Nate's not that great, Nate's not that good, he's a lesser Nick. And the reality was that was always unfair from the word go. It was not really all that true. It was it was manifested to be true by sort of force of the promoter and, of course, media being compliant as well. But Nate had other plans. Nate had and other shout plans. Shout out to him negotiating himself up to a $500,000 so, base salary. Look, so, that, that's, he, he deserves that for all those other shitty he, fight this is why you event. This is why you want him to get the Jake Paul fight because yeah. he, is, he, is that, he is overdue for a big payday. Now, it takes us to UFC 196 BC. Did March, you cover that fight? Uh, not live. I don't think I covered that one live. That UFC is, 196, March of 2016. You were there? I was there, and um, I had covered a couple of UFC cards. In fact, my first UFC card I covered was the tough finale with Rose Namajunas and Carla Esparza, ah. also in Las Vegas. This was my first Las Vegas pay-per-view UFC fight week, and coming over from boxing where, you know, we've had fun pay-per-view weeks, and the Mayweather run was fun for many reasons. I had never experienced a fight week as fun Maybe with the exception of Mayweather Canelo, because the Mexican fan base just brought such excitement to that. This was out of control. Do you remember the presser? It wasn't the water bottle one. It was the one where Connor got up in Nate's face and, and pressed the buttons enough where Nate took a swipe at him. And I remember just. And they had the one at the UFC gym as well about how you're making um, animal balloons with one sign exactly. and gang signs with the and, other. And, uh, you know, they had let the fans into all these press events, and the McGregor could not be hotter. Luke coming into this fight. It was just fun to be part of this. It was fun to see Nate get this opportunity. And don't forget, this is a welterweight fight in which Connor was just a featherweight the day before. He's kind of moving up in some ways to weight class there, although he was preparing, obviously, for a lightweight fight. Um, I remember thinking, look, the weight disparity, there were some MMA hardcore saying, no, no, Nate's going to win this. But I remember thinking, look, if Connor McGregor can get off on him, Nate doesn't get knocked out outside of the Josh Thompson fight, but Connor's just a force in the first round mm-hmm. of this fight. Connor was a freaking force. Now, Connor was throwing everything he wanted, landing a lot of it. Bloodying Nate up. Now, what we'd find out afterwards is Connor didn't make the weight the right way once the weight changed from lightweight to now a welterweight fight. He said he was eating steaks all week. Yeah. He didn't have the gas. Yeah, the, the line for the rematch was steaks, not salad, or, and this or would, something like that. Look, in terms of like turns in oh, MMA no, history. The opposite of that, sorry. In ter- turns, obviously the fifth round on the same night of Tate Holm had a massive turn. But, you know, maybe Carwin Lesnar is the only comparison here to what happened where one round looked a certain way, and then the second round went the complete other way. It, Nate didn't dominate to start the second round, but at the end of the first, Luke, he was ripped up, bloody, beaten. And I remember thinking, look, how much more before our ref stops this dude to cut? Connor really is that dude. He just moved up kind of two weight classes against the you know toughest SOB we've had in a while. And look, he's putting it the hell on him. He opened round two, putting it up the hell on him. But that change in momentum is among the most. It, it, it wasn't just a moment, three, and then the it had three-minute mark of round two. You could feel it coming, and now I'm in the media room next door, and I could start to feel like a rumbling that you can feel it. The table, and as it happened, as it got to that moment, 
I don't know if I have anything to compare that to, and I wasn't even in the building. I was adjacent it to it. It does feel like Lesnar Carwin a little bit to me, uh, but I, this is, you asked if my wife watches fights, very rarely. This one she made time for. She's a big Nate Diaz fan. This one we made time for, and we were both, that's right, because I wasn't at this fight. We were screaming in the living room at the three-minute mark of the second round. Here when comes Poirier, bitch! We just, no, but we just couldn't believe what we were looking at, because yeah. to your point, like, you know, Nate was hanging in there in the first round, but Connor was teeing off, throwing spinning hook kicks, big-ass oh, left hands from, like, way far away, and then finding a way. But then you could see in the second round, here's the moment, in the three-minute mark, Nate begins to take center. And yes. when he begins to take center, he begins to land on a much more visibly fatigued uh, Conor McGregor. And then a big one-two lands and then that stumbles him. him. A coward to the level where Conor McGregor shot. Remember that? He, he shot. shot in. And again, that's what Jim Miller did to him, too. He had been there before. Sits for the guillotine. Conor rolls. He tries to take base again. Nate stops him. Takes mount, pounds on him. Connor turns. He puts the choke in from the blind side, locks it up, and there's an immediate tap so from that's Connor. And Joe Rogan lost his fucking mind. Maybe that's the beginning of this new era of like UFC putting the cam on the on the announcers, and almost yeah. the announcers are trained to know that when the knockout happens, go crazy because oh. you'll be on the broadcast later. I mean, Mauro Ronaldo was doing that with WWE around this time, but that was like, this was one of those just fucking viral, insane moments. I told you the story of my cousin, Mike Campbell, who was there that weekend. I gave him my press pass, which was a seat in the arena, eye level, last row in the first section. It's very unethical for you to do that. And he watches as his first two UFC fights, Holman Tate and McGregor. Diaz won. Luke, we said we were so happy that Nate finally got this payday that he deserved retroactively. Wasn't this the most Nate Diaz way to win a freaking fight? It probably was. Getting bloodied, getting I mean, battered. Even as he wins on, it, he's dripping blood. Hanging on, then finding a way to stun him with the boxing, forcing a guy who had talked about people being weak for shooting, making them shoot, and then using that incredible jujitsu to finish him off. The crowd went insane. The commentators went insane. But we talked about what he did after the Michael Johnson fight. And here comes one of the, and by the way, after beating McGregor, getting up and doing this. Which became a mural. Which became a mural, a mural, a mural excuse me, and, and just an iconic shot. Stockton. And then finally they clean him up and Joe Rogan puts a microphone in his face. I don't need to tell you what happens next, but just for the purposes of reminding you, let's take a look. Nick Diaz, <laughs> you just shook up the world. How's that feel? Hey, I'm not surprised, mother <laughs> It just, there's one Nate Diaz. There's one Nate Diaz. That was truly a moment. You can't, it completely transformed his fortunes, completely transformed his career. A major success he turns out to be in MMA, and it feels like overnight, but I hope through this exercise, folks understand this was a long time. And that moment making. was so impactful that just yesterday, I'm not doing a bit, Brendan Schaub said on this podcast that that moment is what made him name his first comedy special. You might be surprised. Not the Rogan thing, that moment. I don't think that's true. He said it yesterday. I'm not even kidding. But as iconic a moment, so Nate goes from not journeyman, but like durable warrior who the fans love, who maybe doesn't always get the best luck and shoots himself in the foot sometimes, to Luke, a legitimate pay-per-view star. The rub you could have gotten from rallying behind Bloody to stop a Conor McGregor who's that popular as the featherweight champion. Luke, he's a, now a pay-per-view star. I did not think we would ever get to this He's point. not the needle mover, except, oh, wait, all of a sudden he is. Yeah. It's just a function of what your imagination can be. And Nate always believed in himself, not merely as a guy who could win, but as a guy that he could be popular and make money and be the kind of attraction that he ultimately turned out to be. Now, 
The problem with beating Connor this way is you can't do it once, BC. Yeah. You got to do it twice. So they meet up again. We fast forward. Well, it was supposed to be, Luke. This was March, UFC 196. UFC 200 yes. was that July. It was supposed to be them. Conor McGregor famously said, uh, what? Didn't want to Cheddar. do the media. Didn't want to fly from Iceland in training camp with Gunnar Nelson to go to Las Vegas to do this yes. press conference for UFC 200 to penalize him. He retired on Twitter, though. Dana would push it back to UFC 202 in August. I had an option with ESPN to go to SummerSlam in Brooklyn and cover that or go to Vegas and do this. And I don't know what I was thinking at the time. We had just launched the WWE page at ESPN. I picked SummerSlam. Yeah, you're a dumbass. All right, this, this, is, this, this is what you get for watching wrestling. This second fight here, Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor 2. Nate, like I mentioned, we get a $2 million base salary. Shout out to Nate. Luke, not only did it break the pay-per-view records, this card, from for, for uh, it was... Is this a top five UFC fight of all time? Because I don't feel like it gets the respect uh, not for me, it deserves. Not for me, but again, August 20th, T-Mobile Arena. Would you Las say Vegas, it's a Nevada. great fight? Yes. Yes, it was. This was the one where Connor said, okay, you got the best of me, but his pre-fight talk was all that I, I'm going to keep it at 170. I want all the same circumstances as before. And what I'm going to show you is that when I apply myself properly, I can get the job done. And BC, I thought in large part that was basically true. The fight went the full distance. We thought Connor was going to gas and it looked like he was on his way there, but he did have a bit of a late rally. It should be noted. And you can see here, this was one of the big difference. He, he, he simplified his game plan to where he went back to the leg kicks, dropping Nate, I think, three times, once in the first round, twice in the it second round. It surprised me in the second fight. Even though he had dominated Nate in the first round of the first fight, it surprised me to see Connor have that big a success where he's dropping Nate. Yes, because he didn't really do that in the first one no. at all. He bloodied him, but he didn't drop him like that. But the reason why this fight was so dramatic, not only was it five rounds of action back and forth. In fact, don't forget, it was so violent. People forget how violent this fight is. Dana afterwards was like, I'm not going to match him a third time because they'll kill each other. Mm -hmm. And also don't forget about where this fight was virally in our culture, and it's why it broke the UFC record for pay-per-view buys that was inevitably broken by Conor versus Habib, is that the buildup in the press conference throwing water bottles at each other, yep. that shit was out of That's national news across and everywhere. Jake Shields throwing the coffee. Jake Shields somebody. grabbing the laptop or trying to, and it's yeah. stuck. Um, like, these two are, like, oh, celebrities, Luke. These two are, like... This was, I, I, there are not many times where an, a UFC fight really crosses over into, like, the major yes. mainstream. This one was everywhere. It was all over Fox Sports. It was all over ESPN. It was all over every water cooler discussion. Every one of my friends who didn't watch MMA was asking me about this one. This one had transcended to a very new level that other, even big UFC fights, like million dollar pay-per-view or million pay-per-view buys, don't reach this level. This was a special case. Uh, you got to give, even though this isn't about Conor McGregor, don't, you got to give him credit in hindsight for turning back his notion of being a, uh, someone who gassed all the time. Like, there were two legitimate moments in this five-round fight where I thought, oh, Connor's gassed. It's over. Mm -hmm. He did dig deep. Do you think, looking back, that he deserved on the scorecards, meaning Conor McGregor the win in this rematch? We actually have the scorecard. We can put that up. Let's take a look at it here for just a second. He wins 48-47, I believe, on all three of the judges' scorecards. And you can see here, Glenn Trowbridge, Jeff Mullen, and Derek Clearly. They all score it. Let's see. It's a majority decision because one yep. card is 47-47 because of a 10-8 third round in favor of Nate Diaz. Oh, that's that, right. There was that was when Connor gassed me. badly, and uh, Nate put it on him. And Nate put it round. on him. In fact, the stats, I have them here in front of me. They speak to this here a little bit, if I may, uh, in this uh, second Conor McGregor fight. Again, he gets knocked down three times. Uh, Nate Diaz much busier, attempting 435 strikes, but only landing 166. McGregor attempting 322, landing 164. But listen to the round-by-round -round breakdown. That's more relevant. So we're going to go Diaz-McGregor, 
37-34. That's that big round two, although he does, um, uh, uh, there's two knockdowns credited for Conor McGregor. Round three, 49 to 26. And I thought that was when Nate was really going to begin to turn things. But credit to McGregor. He found it. He found the gas. Here we go. Diaz McGregor, 36 to 46. And then in round five, 19 to 24. A pretty, pretty remarkable job. It really could have gone either way. Do you remember how you scored? I had it, I had it for Connor just barely. I think I had Connor 3 2. That's okay. what I had. Connor 3 2. Uh, if you could go back to this point, so August of 2016. They had just broken the UFC record essentially twice with the first two fights. Or I think they were one in three in UFC history, being this rivalry. You would have guessed Nate Diaz would take the ultimate rub of two fights with Conor McGregor, two in which he performed great, one in mm -hmm. which he won, argued that he won the second one, and would have gone on to fight name-famous celebrity old guy fighter and would just continued this pay-per-view run. But he didn't. But he didn't. He, he took, took three years three off. Three years off. Now, like, he had finally gotten paid because of these two cards. But it wasn't as if he planned to take three years off. There was a lot of back and forth with the UFC during this run of Dana saying he's impossible to deal with. We yeah, tried I know to for offer a fact him they fights. offered him a Tyron Woodley fight after a time. But look, he had now entered a different tax bracket. Would it be fair to say in hindsight, now he's making, like I said, $2 million on here. I know he's going to demand a lot. I always argue during this three-year run, he deserves it. He yes. is now a major, major player. This felt, and the this, UFC this, never this, sees that. This three-year absence felt to me, again, I know they were, given the, they were offered him the Woodley fight when Woodley was champion. This, this three-year absence to me felt like the fans finally recognized who Nate Diaz was yes. and the promotion refused to recognize in many ways. And, you know, they're reality. saying, oh, we offer that him fights, but it, it's not for big money they're not offering him. They probably put him back at a you know lower price bracket. He probably said, F that. I know what I'm worth. I know right. what I can he do. He knows his worth. And he what wasn't we just going to pour it out. What did we miss? Okay, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, what did we miss in that three-year window in terms of big fights that could have been? And we can go back and forth. Who cares, really? What did we miss in Nate? In terms of that, be, is there is that that's his second prime, right? That's his yes. second sort of. I think what we missed was some of the better years of his competitive ability, because we'll talk about this here in just a minute. You know, he's taking on Hamza Chimaev at UFC 279. Nate's 37. We saw him as a 22-year-old kid, and he was too raw at that time. But again, we go back to it: the Gomi, the Cerrone, and the Miller trio fights when he's just about to be 30 years old. That is when he is absolutely locked in, physically great. He's had some good performances subsequent to that. We've talked about some of them. He's had some not-so-great ones. But at 37, I do feel like, obviously, this was before that, but I think from that 2016 to 2019 period, we missed some good spots of Nate's early to mid-30s where he could have been dealing on some or folks. maybe in some We, we ways, would have lost some, too. I don't think he was yeah. the best guy. And you never know what that time off did to give him the, the fuel to do this Chamaya fight and whatever he's going to do next. Right. Sometimes that's there. But hey, let's fast forward three years. Three years later. Do you remember uh, the build to this? There was a press conference yes. in which Nate was there in, Lo in Los Angeles and we were all fired up. Three years removed. He's going to fight Anthony Pettis, which was a cool fight on paper in a lot of ways. Oh, he was supposed to fight uh, Dustin Poirier for that's a time right. and that that's whole right. thing got, got That was going to be the year before at New York City. It didn't yes. happen. But let me at set that this presser, up. hold me... on, at that presser, they announced Conor McGregor's return. Yes. And, and he Nate walked it. out. Yes. So he's still feeling like they're they're effing him off. Yes, right? they they kind of are to a degree. All right, August seventeenth, twenty nineteen, UFC two forty one. He takes on Anthony Pettis. You might be asking, where was he on the card? This was headlined by Miocic versus Cormier. Which one? One. Uh, I believe this was the rematch because Cormier is already the champion. Yep. So uh, Diaz versus Pettis is your co-main. Now I thought that this was a very smart move by Nate Diaz because I thought Pettis was a little bit shop worn at that point. And Diaz could swoop right in with better boxing. He's fresh. He's had three years off, and he could do something to him. 
That's exactly what happened, yeah. including with even better wrestling. He selectively found a good opponent with a good name, with a good, exciting style who he could who catch. Still it dangerous. Just, still dangerous. This still is dangerous. a pettis who stopped Stephen Thompson after this. Yes, yes. So he's still dangerous, no doubt about it. But was beatable in a way that Nate could make it work, and he did. He, he did. looked tremendous. Now, look, it wasn't a callback to who he was before. But it's still the premise of if Nate Diaz can get off first and be the aggressor going after you, it wasn't the same level of volume or aggression, and he did have to be leery of taking shots back. But true or false, you came out of here going, you know, he might still be able to compete against the elites in this game. Like, I was reconfident again. Because after three years, you don't know what you're going to get. I thought after this one, with the right matchups, he could beat a lot of guys. That's why I like the Poirier fight. Like, Poirier is a tough guy. I would pick Poirier to win. But with the way in which he looked here, I was like, just the right matchup could fit remember, him just right. I remember right. thinking he would get another title shot. I thought this was enough to revamp him. But, Luke, the post do we have the post-fight interview to throw to? Uh, I don't think that we do. Because it actually do. was. We oh, do. we do. Yes, I'm sorry, we do. Uh, so you think it's a great fight after this great victory? Do you think we'll be seeing you fighting regularly now? The reason I was off is because everybody sucked. There's nobody to fight. But with this... Uh, with this belt, I want to defend it against uh, Jorge Masvidal. Had a good last fight. Good last fight. All respect to the man, but there ain't no gangsters in this game anymore. There ain't nobody who does it right but me and him. So I know my man's a gangster, but he ain't no West Coast gangster. So there you have it, calling out Jorge Masvidal. That was a fun moment. You remember that live? It was a really fun moment. And here was Nate being like, I've got a little bit of time left to make a little bit of money now that I'm here. Let me selectively work my way through this process to the extent that he could, creating his own future, right? Because he, he manifested the Conor McGregor experience to a degree. He manifested by finding the, and waited for the just right moment in Anthony Pettis, calling out Masvidal. Masvidal wanted to make use of his surging popularity at the exact same time. Masvidal had knocked out Ben Askren. That's right. Knee. So and you're talking about how... perfect call out. And so I, with the performance, I remember thinking in that moment, wow, Nate might get himself back into the title picture. Instead, he gets himself in the BMF title picture. So we all love this matchup. It became a headlining pay-per-view with UFC's trip to MSG, same night as Canelo Kovalev. We remember what happened there. November 2nd, 2019. I, we were, I was there. Were you there? Uh, I was at Canelo Cole. I was so I was out here. So I, I watched this fight in the MGM Grand Arena, which I still can't believe it actually happened that yeah. way. But here's the deal, Luke. I remember thinking, and tell me, in that post interview, he shows Jorge a lot of respect, saying we're the last gangsters That's left. That's right. Only East I'm Coast a, gangster versus only West, I'm a West Coast, Coast gangster. gangster. So he still, you know, puts himself over. I thought this mixed with that Brooklyn press conference, which if you give the UFC credit, in terms of setup with the sun coming Tremendous. down, the Tremendous. Brooklyn Bridge behind them in Manhattan, there. Uh, that looked like, in, you know, him and Jorge dressed like Tony Montana. You were like, this is going to be awesome. And then they were almost too much of the same thing. They mm -hmm. didn't talk trash to each other. Do you think Nate, in hindsight, erred in not calling out Jorge more, more like, aggressively, like making it more of an enemy thing? It was almost as if he showed him too much I'll respect. Say, I'll say this. Bill. Nate works best when he is working against the machine. Yes. When he's the guy who's the iconoclast, but you had another guy who kind of had his own story in that way a Spider little bit. Spider-Man meme, these two. These are yeah, a little bit of the Spider-Man meme. But I tell you what, President Trump showed up to the place. I remember getting in when the security was fucking insane the whole time. And I got to say, it was a smart call out for the opponent in terms of big name, big yes. dollars, big size. But it ended up backfiring because Jorge Masvidal beat his ass. Well, let's be honest about who Jorge Masvidal was. This is his, what, third fight of 2019 in which he would resurgently become the fighter of the year. Yes. He had stopped Darren Till. He had stopped Ben Askren. 
The I, Rock. The Rock was at the press I mean, conference the holding up the belt. The Rock was there with everything. the BMF belt. It was a big freaking. I, I still can't believe UFC did that. Like I give them credit in hindsight. I still can't believe they created a yep. WWF title basically and did this fight. But they did. Um, okay, now coming into it, let's be honest about who Jorge was in Alien. This was. Jorge Masvidal, who had that turned things around from the desert in Central America, or not the desert, the forest in Central America at that reality show, mm -hmm. had started baptizing people almost like 2013 Vitor, although for different reasons. I look at, like, Jorge will never be that again, and I almost can't believe he was. But who he was walking into the cage that night was a dangerous freaking man that even a resurgent Nate Diaz really had nothing for. Now, it, there I were a couple of times Nate was able to pop him with a good one, too. And he did rally before And you would the see uh, Jorge smile when yeah. they would clinch. But to your point, Nate got dropped multiple times in this fight. Heavy body kicks. The body kicks were devastating. The boxing, you see the cut open there. But who gives Nate trouble? Uh, what was this fight? Was this a welterweight fight officially? This is a welterweight fight. But even when he would go at some light, when he fought big lightweights who were basically welterweights, and that's kind of what this is, and a guy who's that explosive... Nate's idea of let me try to counter you and wait for you to make a mistake, it's just not going to happen. Jorge beat him to the punch consistently. Well, and I don't think it's as one-sided as people remember, so I'm glad you brought that up because yes. he did have moments. And when it was stopped, it was one-sided in the sense that, like, Nate had punctuated moments, but the heavy artillery yes. was all on Jorge's side. The thing that 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 guy like Nate says is, well, listen, uh, if that fight was in a different state, the cut doctor wouldn't have stopped it, New which York is state probably sensitive. true. Probably they true. They had reason to be sensitive from some of the boxing, the Magomed Fair situation. enough. People yeah. don't understand the history there. They're, they're a little bit more cautious. But the reality was Nate was trying to set up a fight against a guy who stylistically he had a chance of winning against and a big name, mission accomplished. The problem was he got dealt. So here's he what I'm dealt. saying. In hindsight, if you're a super Nate fan, you're like looking back, what should he have done differently? You know, if they would have fought six months later, they could probably win that fight. It's just that version of Jorge was riding so much momentum, was so confident, was basically a living and breathing Tony Montana like character version. And, you know, he would go on to lose a lot of that momentum, and then people stopped liking him as much, and then he got knocked the hell out two fights later, right. you know. But Luke, in that moment, I don't think there's anything you can say like Nate did wrong. He just fought a force of nature, right? He fought a force of nature. He fought a guy who just had more firepower than yeah. him in a similar kind of way. So. That takes us to the last fight on his record. It is a distinguished one, but it is the last one before he takes him on. Takes on Hamza Chimaev, UFC 279, UFC 263, June of 2021. He would skip the whole pandemic part of it, or at least the worst parts of it, anyway. And he would take on Leon Edwards, UFC 263, Glendale, Arizona. And this nobody is nobody wanted to fight Leon Edwards, so Nate Diaz says, "I'll do it." Right? Yeah, he certainly did. Again, this is the uh, Adesanya Vittori two card. And you might be asking, where was this fight? This was not the main of the co-main. This was the feature fight, but it's the first feature fight. On a pay-per-view card, non-title, five rounds. Rounds. Right? First time Nate Diaz, again, making history in that way. Do you remember the public workout before that fight and another Nate Diaz, Mount Rushmore viral moment? Do we have it? Tell me we have it. I don't it. know that we have that one. If we do, you can play it, but I don't think we have that Hit one. Hit me with it, Manich. Uh, uh, this is the post fight. <laughs> Good enough. I'll take the post well, fight Nate too. Nate would spark, spark a J. It wasn't technically marijuana that he sparked at the yeah, public. Yeah, it was CBD. But it looked just like it, and the image was awesome. So Nate goes into this fight. I remember thinking, okay, cool, but like this is older Nate Diaz. Shouldn't he be fighting fellow older names? Why is he fighting prime Leon Edwards? The first four and a half rounds, didn't it prove that right? Why Again, is he fighting you could say, guy? well, is, is going into Glendale, Arizona, Leon Edwards' backyard? No. But this was clearly the UFC believing they had a future for Leon Edwards that they wanted to set up. They thought he was going to be a title contender. Let's use the Nate Diaz name to boost Leon Edwards' yeah. fortunes. Funnily enough, even though Leon Edwards gets the win and looked good for 24 minutes of it, 
I actually wonder if this boosted Nate's fortunes. Listen, you saw this fight like I did. The reality is that he got outstruck from the, on the outside for the most part, and then whenever they clinched, you would see Leon on top. But in the last minute Damn. of the fifth round, a la what he did to Kamaru Usman, he rocks Leon with a big one-two. Look at the crowd go, being shocked and going apeshit. There's Justin Bieber in the bottom right corner. And Nate was all over him like white on rice. This is funny. We love the point, but he almost got criticized for the point because he may have missed a moment to jump right on top of yes. him. Yes. And you can see the elbow there on the side of his head from the yeah. getting slashed from the elbows. Uh, Here's what's the cut here from the elbows. cool about the gangster persona of Nate. He almost gets out of those two straight fights, even though he loses, by redeeming himself. Because there are people, although we thought Masvidal beat him handily and I didn't need a rematch, there were people who were like, no way, man, Nate was just coming on until the New York State stopped that with the cut. Man, you got to fight Nate Diaz to the death. You didn't beat him. He kind of, to some people, redeemed some street cred and came out of that as a moral winner of some weird way. He was definitely a moral winner of this Leon Edwards fight. His brand got re reignited in some ways by this. I mean, he's taken on a fight he that didn't he, get he his shouldn't have. Yes. He shouldn't have fought. He, he shouldn't have fought. The thing is, he get the, the, the Masvidal fight got stopped in the cut, which is where people hang on to it. But he got beat up in that fight. Edwards didn't really beat him up. I mean, he won the fight. I mean, he, listen, he, you know, he scored some heavy shots. Fairly dominant. But, like, in three rounds, Masvidal did way more than in yeah. five rounds what, uh, what, what Edwards did. And so, for that reason... You, the thing you remember most about the Edwards fight is that he rocked him and nearly finished him off in the end of the fifth, which is the most unremark or the most unlikely thing that was possible. But it all speaks to who Nate Diaz is, and it takes us lastly to UFC 279. BC, we started this conversation with when you saw this journey, did it make you think differently about this? Listen, I don't know how you feel. I think Hamza Chimaev is your favorite. I think he deserves to be a favorite. I think he probably will win. But there have been so many times that Nate has been asked to do the impossible, to your point, on the cheap, against every tough guy in every difficult weight class and in every climb and place they could do it. And not every time it went his way, but enough times have to make you think it is stupid to look past it. Make him. no mistake, this is as unique and weird a fight as, like, in, in one breath, UFC is offering up this old name who they know wants to make money outside of them with the last fight in his deal, so they're saying, hey, old name, we'll offer you up to this god, Hamza, and you'll get your ass kicked on the way out. There's also the opportunity for Nate to do the ultimate double-cross FU by upsetting Chamayev and going out in a blaze of glory. But how about maybe a third straight moral victory? There, are, There is a scenario in here in which Nate doesn't win this fight, but he either exposes Hamza in some way or has a rally or does something that's Nate Diaz redeemable on the way out. I kind of feel like... Some if iconic, anything, memorable moment. If anything, he's going to author that for us. Now, it's I don't think he should have been fighting Leon in 2019 or 2021, whatever it was. I don't think he should have been fighting Hamzat now. But he's had problems getting fights. He's the anti-hero. He still is. And he's going to go out on his own terms in the least desirable situation. He's 37. You can argue whether Gilbert Burns humanized Chemayev enough for Nate to go, oh, I know what to do. I'll find that button. Mm -hmm. When did Nate Diaz stop evolving and essentially become this second-half gangster of his career, like, what was there? A, when, when did the evolution stop? I think he's still always been training. I don't know if his evolution has stopped. He's turned into a little bit more of being a hittable guy than he once was, and I think that's been since the McGregor fight itself. Maybe, maybe even no. The RDA was taking it to him once he really was, you know, in the early part of his 30s, late 20s. Um, past the, everything from Benson Henderson afterwards has been kind of up and down. Really, is the answer to Are that. Are there one. any fights on this journey that you look at and say Nate should focus on that one a little bit more in how you beat Chimaev? Yeah, the Kurt, Pe Kurt, Pe Kurt Pellegrino 
um, Benson Henderson, RDA, Leon Edwards, all of those guys do a lot of the same things, the physical control, the muscling around, the Rory McDonald's, the Dong Hyung Kims, all of those guys had the same kind of thing, sturdy submission defense, and chucking him around from place to place, controlling position. He's got to have an answer for that. He's got to have an answer for that. And sometimes he has, sometimes he hasn't. Final question on the legacy of Nate. Is his legacy ultimately, despite the individual success, still younger brother of Nick Diaz, no, leader of the no, Diaz no, no, Army? No, 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 no. Or what? what is Nate's win or lose in this fight and whatever he does next, Jake Paul or not, what is Nate Diaz's unique legacy within this sport? Uh, we'll see what happens against Shemaev. We'll see what happens against Jake Paul if they end up making a boxing match. But for me, he is the, uh, he is the stone that the builder refused. He is the just like Jesus. Sort of. I mean, I don't think Jesus is quite the right word. Well, that's mean, where that line comes from. It's from the Bible, but it's also yeah. a rap song from the boondocks, too. But I'm using it in that way. He is the stone that the builder refused. He was never the guy the promotion. Yes, he was on the ultimate fighter. I think they wanted to do stuff with him. They wanted to make him a bigger name than he certainly would have been on his own. But they never pegged him as, like, their GSP. They never pegged him as their guy. He was... He had to take the game's popularity. It was never really handed to him. What do you think about this? You're the Nate Diaz of MMA journalism over your career, and I'm the Jake Shields. Okay, either way, we have overstayed our welcome. So uh, let me get that laptop from you, brother. All right, that's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. What did you guys think? What were your favorite fights and your favorite memories from the Nate Diaz experience? Leave a comment below. If you want to reach out to us and leave us a little bit of feedback or give us a follow on social, there you have it. Thanks to the Malka team and to Mikey for putting all the assets together. I know it was a pain in the ass but we appreciate you guys doing it. What a fun journey. What a long journey. Thanks to everyone who watched the whole thing. We'll see what happens on September 10th, UFC 279. For the MK family on this side, we'll see you all there. Until next time, enjoy the fights.